Hi, everyone. Welcome to 10 Points Parsha Podcast. This is Rabbi Yisrael Isaacs. We left off last week's Parsha with Paro finally sending the Jews out after the 10th plague, the 10th Maka, Makas Bechoros, the plague of the firstborn, the death of the firstborn. They're now on their way out. They already started going. It says that God did not lead them on a direct route out of Egypt. They went the long way. And before they left... Moshe took something very important with him, the bones of Yosef, Yosef's remains. And the Torah says it's because Yosef made the Bnei Israel take an oath that when they left, they would take his remains with them. So Moshe, the Torah says, personally involved himself in taking Yosef's remains with him. And that's because, Rav explains, he recognized Yosef's importance, aside from the fact that they had sworn to do it and he was the person fulfilling their oath. But Yosef paved the way for the Jewish people to remain faithful during their time in Egypt. What Yosef did was he showed it's possible to live a Jewish life, whether you're a wealthy ruler or whether you're a simple slave. He set the example, even they were slaves, they could identify as Jews and live as Jews. That's what Yosef did. Why was Moshe the particular, why was he's so dedicated to this. So the Mepharshim say it's because he was a grandson of Levi. And why would that have any factor here? It's because if you recall, Yaakov's bracha to Shimon and Levi implies that they were the two ones who, who were primarily responsible for selling Yosef. They were Yosef's greatest critics. By Moshe taking personal responsibility to take Yosef's remains out of Egypt, he was being misake and he was rectifying the mistake that his grandfather Levi had done, had committed. What Rosalvechik says is that this moment when Moshe takes Yosef's bones, that's really the final fulfillment of Yosef's second dream. Yosef's first dream was about the crops, his second dream was about the stars. The first dream was a prophecy of Yosef's destiny to become a leader in the family in terms of the physical sustenance of the Jewish people. And the second dream about the stars was a prophecy predicting Yosef's future role as a spiritual leader of his family and of the Jewish people. This shows that even Levi's descendants, that Moshe, the most important of Levi's descendants, acknowledged that Yosef had played an important a critical, crucial, the crucial role that was able to make the Jewish people survive their time in Egypt, both physically and spiritually. So Moshe personally carried, it says that that he took his bones with him in his own tent. Moshe took the most personal interest in this. So at this point, we're introduced to the Amud Anun and the Amud Aish, the pillar of clouds that led and protected the Jewish people through the desert during a day, and the column of fire of Aish that lit up and showed them where to go at night and also protected them. And now we find the beginning of the Parsha, Hashem tells Moshe he has strengthened Paro's heart and he's going to chase after you. It's very interesting. If you think about it, this in and of itself is a totally crazy thing. Paro's country was just destroyed by the 10 plagues. Totally destroyed. Utterly dilated. And he finally sends the Jewish people out. And then it says that Paro and his servants had a change of heart towards the people and they said, what is this that we have done that we have released Israel from serving us? So he harnessed his chariot and started chasing after the Jews. What the Torah is saying is that there's no logic that would lead Paro after what just happened to him there's no way if he was thinking logically he would chase after the Jews how could he do that that's why the Torah says I have hardened Paro's heart because this is a new level
level, meaning Hashem had to harden his heart so that he wouldn't send out the Jews and, and we could keep having the 10 plagues. But even after the 10 plagues are done, Paro never would have chased after the Jews. Hashem specifically made it that Paro should chase after the Jews. The whole splitting of the sea was part of God's plan. Paro would not have gone at all if not for the fact that Hashem specifically hardened his heart. That's the point that Ramban makes. And the, the most utterly crazy, the crazy of craziest things that happens is that once the Jewish people enters the sea, miraculously, the sea is split, you've got dry land in the sea, Paro goes again, it says, and follows him in there. The height of stupidity. The Torah says again, when that happens, I'm going to harden the heart of the of Egypt, and they're going to follow after them in the sea. So this whole thing, Hashem staged this whole thing from start to finish. He staged Paro leaving Egypt, chasing after Jewish people once they left, regretting that he sent them out, which was totally made no sense. And then once he chased after them, they went into dry land on the sea. He should have just given up right then. Okay, but he no, he went and his whole army perished in the sea because Hashem again hardened his heart for that purpose to punish Egyptians and make a point out of it. I think an application of this idea might perhaps be that there are many things in our lives or our businesses that we do something a certain way because we set it up that way because at the time it made sense. There was a reason for it. But circumstances change. People change. Situations change. And if we keep doing things the same way in spite of the changing circumstances, then we lose relevance and Sometimes what we're doing can be completely illogical, but we continue to do it because that's what we did before. It's possible for our hearts to be hardened, so to speak, by habit, by not thinking, by living on autopilot, or by just being afraid of change. There's a very interesting thing to think about, the difference between the miracles of the Esermako, so the Ten Plagues, and the splitting of the sea. They both punished the Egyptians. The Egyptians suffered through the ten plagues and the splitting of the sea. And they both were tools to save the Jewish people. The ten plagues got them out of Egypt. The sea coming down on the Egyptians also saved the Jews. They weren't chasing them anymore. This is the difference between the two. The ten plagues were primarily retribution for the Egyptians, primarily punished the Egyptians. A side benefit of the punishment of the Egyptians was that it also got the Jews out of Egypt because of the repeated pounding and suffering that they couldn't take anymore, finally had to send them out. But the main purpose was punishing the Egyptians because of the way that they enslaved the Jewish people and abused the Jewish people and killed the Jewish people. The splitting of the sea was the opposite. The main purpose was not the retribution of the Egyptians, it was to save the Jewish people so that they could leave and escape the Egyptians. A secondary point that came out of it was that the Egyptians got punished through this saving of Jewish people, they were punished. But it's also, there's Din and Rachamim. In the case of the 10 plagues, that was Din. That was Hashem judging and punishing the Mitzrim. But out of the Din came Chesed for the Jewish people. And the splitting the sea was the opposite. It was Chesed for the Jewish people to save them, but Din came out of it, judgment and punishment came out of it for the Egyptians because of what happened after the Jews were saved. So that's just a little point about that. In the Shira, it says Zekhi Vanvehu. This is my God, and as Rashi explains, Vanvehu means I will beautify him. Rashi's translation of the verse may avoid a theological problem. We can't beautify God. He lacks no beauty, and even if he would 
how would we be able to provide him with anything? This is perhaps why Rashi explains that Vanvehu means Asaper Noyo Vishivcho Lebai Olam. I will relate his beauty and praise to all people. Meaning, it's not about actually beautifying in some way the Almighty himself. He's already beautiful. Just not everybody is aware of that. And even those who might be aware of it may not appreciate it with profundity. Van Vehu instructs us that as Jews, we must publicize and promote his beauty to the world. We have to act as the Almighty's marketing executives. We have to be his ambassadors. From a classic Misa about Shimon Shatach, the Tana mentioned in the Zugos in the chain of the Mesorah in the first parak of Perki Avos, we see that there is in fact a, another dimension to fulfilling Van Vehu. In Devarim Rabbah 3.3, the story is told about Shimon Shatach that he once purchased a donkey from a non-Jewish merchant. Later, as his students were looking over everything that came with the donkey, they discovered a, an expensive gem tied to the donkey's neck that had been concealed. They told their Rebbe, Shimon Shatach, that according to Choshe Mishpat, it would seem that he's entitled to keep it, because everything that came along with the donkey was part of the sale. And this was, in fact, a blessing from heaven. To their surprise, he nevertheless returned the gem, and he explained that really the seller did not intend, obviously, to sell him the gem. So even though he's entitled to it, he wants to return it to the seller. And the seller exclaimed, Baruch Hashem Elokei Shimon Ben Shatach. The seller's reaction to Shimon Ben Shatach's greatness is surprising. It would seem that he should be praising Shimon Ben Shatach's exemplary moral behavior. He should be praising Shimon Ben Shatach himself. Why is he instead praising Shimon Shatach's God? Reb Elia Lopian suggests that the seller understood that such remarkably moral behavior is inconceivable for a human being without divine input. That is why it was appropriate to praise not the person himself, but rather the God of Shimon Ben Shatach. Rabbi Dov Yaffe, who served as Mashkiach at Kfar Hasidim Yeshiva until his passing in 2017, says that this episode teaches us that praising the Almighty is not just about what we talk about or what we say. It's about what we do and how we act. Actions speak louder than words. Zekeli Van Vehu is not just about verbally speaking about the Almighty's praise and His beauty, but also challenges us to behave in a way that will reflect positively about Him to be Mekadei Shem Shemayim. The divine flavor of Torah morality is a theme that is found elsewhere in Rabbi Yaffe's thought. He uses a similar idea to explain the difference between philosophically based moral codes on the one hand and halacha on the other. 
Secular morality, at its best, directs and instructs a person how to be a good person, a moral human being. Halacha goes a step beyond mere human morality. It aspires to make a person act godly. The halachta bidrachav. May we all measure up to the challenge of fulfilling vanvehu to its utmost, both through our words and through our deeds. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.